Book One, Chapter Three of Round the Block by John Bell Booten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Peeps. The uniform row of houses on the other side of a dead waste of snow, to which the attention of the three friends was ardently directed, promised at first sight a poor return of instruction and entertainment. The rear view presented one dull stretch of bricks, irregularly set even in those houses which displayed imposing fronts of brown stone. The blinds were of a faded green color and broken. The stoops, the doors opening on them, and the steps leading down to the dirty, sodden snow, had a generic look of cheapness and frailty. Whatever the censorious critic might say of the front, he could not charge the rear with false pretenses, for there was apparent all over it an utter indifference to the opinions of mankind perhaps because the owners of the houses did not expect mankind to study their property from that point of view say was mr fayette overtop's first remark after a moment's observation do not those rustic fences on the roofs remind you of the sweet fresh country in summer-time Mr. Overtop alluded to the barriers which were erected to keep people from getting into each other's houses, and which are scaled not without difficulty even by cats. Neither of his friends answering this remark except by a quiet incredulous smile, Overtop continued a little pettishly, And you really mean to tell me that that pastoral object, happily introduced on the roofs of houses, does not recall the green fields, daisies, babbling brooks and cloudless skies of early boyhood humbug the speaker flattened his nose still more against the glass by way of emphasis you look for beauties among the chimney-pots while i search for them in back-parlor windows said matthew maltboy observe where i throw my eye now mr maltboy threw his eye toward a house near the middle of the block his companions followed it and saw a tall girl with prodigious skirts standing at a window, and looking, as they thought, at them. The view which she obtained was evidently not satisfactory, for with her handkerchief she wiped off the moisture from several of the panes, and when the glass was clear to her liking, shook out the folds of her dress, and peered forth again, this time more decidedly, at the window occupied by the three friends. Her use of the handkerchief was not lost upon Maltboy, who straightway pulled out his extensive cambric and polished up their window, too. This improvement of the medium of vision on both sides enabled the three friends to form some idea of the tall girl's personal charms. Her figure was straight, her hair was black, her eyes were brilliant, her complexion was healthy, she exhibited jewelry in her ears, on her neck, her bosom, her wrists, and her fingers. Her dress gave her a great deal of trouble, as she leaned forward to look out. "'Charming, is she not?' said Maltboy. "'Hard to say at this distance,' returned Overtop, who, feeling neglected in the matter of the rustic fence, was controversially disposed. "'You may find it so,' said Maltboy. "'But as for me, the flash of her eyes—' there now, for instance, is convincing enough. Perhaps you have seen her before, remarked Marcus Wilkeson. Perhaps, was that gentleman's answer. 
implying by his accent and accompanying wink that he had seen her repeatedly and said nothing about her to us you inveterate humbug added marcus mr maltboy felt the compliment conveyed in the word humbug as most people do when that accusation of shrewdness and deep dissembling is brought against them and smiled i confess he replied as he polished the window simultaneously with the performance of that process across the way i confess i have noticed her several times but what was the use of mentioning it to a pair of woman-haters like you his two companions laughed pleasantly thereby expressing their gratification at the return compliment involved in the phrase woman-haters you are such dull fellows now continued maltboy that perhaps you will say this fair stranger is not looking at us that she does not desire to be seen by us that is by me and that her rubbing of the window with a handkerchief is not a signal which she expects to be answered we say nothing replied the disputatious overtop we only wait for proof it is easy to find out whether a signal is meant or not rub the window now maltboy did so concluding the act with an unmistakable flourish of the handkerchief whereupon the tall girl averted her face pulled down the curtain and eclipsed herself wilkeson and overtop laughed and with a common impulse punched maltboy triumphantly in the ribs a friendly salute that was always vastly amusing to that gentleman be it understood at this stage of affairs said marcus solemnly that i reject the overtop theory and wash my hands of all responsibility for maltboy's misdeeds hello there he is again who where exclaimed his two friends in the house nearly opposite the one with the grape arbor isn't he a fine old fellow overtop and maltboy looked and there saw sitting at a window and placidly gazing out of it an old gentleman with long and thick white hair a ruddy face a white neckcloth and a large projecting shirt frill which were all the peculiarities of person and dress that could be distinctly made out he was smoking a long pipe and placidly rocking himself to and fro his appearance through the two windows was that of a finely preserved relic of a past generation he always has a long pipe in his mouth and looks benignantly into the open air said wilkeson so even you are not wholly devoid of curiosity and do take some interest in the people on our block remarked matthew maltboy i have noticed the old gentleman often when i have been reading near the window and own that i should like to know him i think too from certain signs that he would not object to knowing me unless i am much mistaken he has bowed to me several times but fearing that the supposed bow might have been nothing more than a sleepy nod i have never ventured to answer it step back a moment and see if he observes me maltboy and overtop retired a few paces a moment afterward the old gentleman looked over to wilkeson and made a bow at him about which there could be no mistake answer him answer him said his two friends acting upon this advice marcus wilkeson blushing returned a courtly salute which was immediately reciprocated by a still lower bow and a pleasant smile from the old gentleman wilkeson bowed again 
and added a smile. The old gentleman did the same, and this odd exchange of civilities was beginning to get awkward for Wilkeson, when the old gentleman's attention was suddenly called off. A slender young man, whose broad black moustache contrasted unpleasantly with the sallow whiteness of his face, dressed in the jauntiest costume of the period, and bearing in one hand a black cane with a large ivory handle, which looked even in the distance like a human leg, stood by the old gentleman's side. The old gentleman put down his pipe, seized the young man's disengaged hand, and gazed affectionately at him so the three observers thought. Some conversation then took place between them, during which the old gentleman repeatedly pressed the young man's hand, and sometimes reached up and softly patted him on the shoulder. The young man appeared to receive the words and caresses of the old gentleman with a sullen indifference. Several times he pettishly drew his hand away, and at last shook his head fiercely, folded his arms, and seemed though the spectators could only conjecture that, to stamp the floor with his foot. At this the old gentleman bowed his head in his hands. The young man held his defiant attitude unmoved, until glancing out of the window he saw for the first time that he was watched. With a jerk he pulled down the curtain and cut off a scene which the three observers had begun to find profoundly interesting. Well said Marcus Wilkeson. Though I have given up making calls as a business, I shall certainly take the New Year's privilege of dropping in on the venerable unknown over the way. Two things are plain, said Fayette Overtop. One is that the pale, rascally-looking young man is the old man's son. Now I don't suppose either of you will dispute that. Overtop paused a moment to receive and dispose of objections, but none were made. The other is that the old fellow is immensely rich, worth a million or two, maybe. Perhaps you would like to argue that point. Overtop smiled as if nothing would give him greater pleasure than to annihilate a few dozen opinions to the contrary. To save argument as usual, we admit everything, responded Wilkeson, but pray condescend to tell us how you know this fine old boy to be superlatively rich. Overtop smiled upon his ignorant friends and answered, "'Because he wears a white cravat. The man isn't a clergyman, is he? Do clergymen smoke pipes? He isn't a Quaker, is he? Do Quakers, or those of them who indulge in white cravats, wear their coat-collars turned down? Consult your own experience now, and tell me whether you ever saw anybody but a very rich man, with the exceptions already stated, wearing a white cravat.' I leave it to your candor. Wilkeson and Maltboy nodded their heads, as if stricken dumb with conviction. Overtop, gratified with this ready acquiescence, modestly went on to say that he would not undertake to explain the phenomenon. That task he left to some more philosophical mind. He contented himself with making a humble record of facts. And now that each of you have made a discovery in the row of houses, let me try my luck. Overtop rubbed the window, looked out, and carefully surveyed the row from end to end and back again. Ah, I have it, he said. A real mystery, too. Look at that four-story house near the western end of the block, the one a trifle shabbier than its neighbors. 
do you see in the open window a man with a pale intellectual face gray hair and arms bare to the elbows filing away at something held in a vice before him now he stops to examine a paper a plan probably which he holds in his hand now he wipes the perspiration from his forehead can't you see him distinctly was the joint reply what do you suppose he is doing asked overtop no idea said wilkeson perhaps mending a tea-kettle or repairing an umbrella suggested maltboy overtop smiled and said a person with the slightest powers of observation would see that that man has genius in his face that his thin arm is not used to hard mechanical labor that his brain is so heated with great ideas that he tries to cool it by opening the window the tinkering of an umbrella or tea-kettle would not make a man sweat in midwinter you won't deny the force of that suggestion as he spoke a young girl advanced from the back part of the room and stood by the pale workman's side she wore a bonnet and a shawl tightly wrapped around her though the features of her face could not be distinguished in the distance it was not hard to detect a pleasant expression in her eyes a smile on her lips and a high color on her cheeks as if she had just come in from the street she held up a little basket for the workman's inspection he paused in his labor took the girl's head between his hands and kissed her fondly on the brow then he opened the little basket and drew from it a loaf of bread and a piece of cheese which he began eating hurriedly he also seemed by signs to press the girl to eat but she shook her head smiled more than before and looked up affectionately into his face having bolted a few mouthfuls the workman placed the remains of the repast on the bench or table before him kissed the young girl and resumed his work she watched every motion of his hand with eager eyes once she moved as if to close the window but he shook his head and again wiped the sweat from his brow he had consulted the paper and attacked his task with fresh energy for the third or fourth time when his eyes happened to rest upon the window full of scrutinizing faces his lips moved in some sudden exclamation and then he shut the window with vehemence and drew the curtain which obscured the lower half of it not a very kind reception of your theory so far said marcus prejudice nothing more said overtop when they see that we have no wish to pry into their private affairs but are animated with a neighborly regard for them they will not repel our advances it isn't human nature end of book one chapter three